This morning we're going to be looking in the uh, 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses. So John chapter 14 verses 1 through 11. This morning we are looking at the I am statement as in I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as you're turning there, I want to, uh, this, this morning, I want to talk to you, uh, you know, how many of you had family vacations? You remember your family vacations whenever you were growing up? Uh, you know, my mom and dad, uh, you know, my dad was, uh, you know, he was uh, one of the workers at a, uh, well, he worked for Uniworld for most of the time that we were in Louisiana back in the, in, in the plants. He was a pipe fitter. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about working for Uniroyal is, and, and y'all most probably don't know this, but Uniroyal, uh, you know, they're a rubber company and they made tires, uh, you know, but they also made the rubber soles for Converse. So each year I got two pairs of shoes for free. Uh, you know, so yes, I wore white top Converse tennis shoes, uh, you know, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. So, uh, you know, we're on our family vacations, but, you know, what happened was is that dad would take two weeks a year off for vacation. How many of y'all know those little pop-up tents or campers, okay, that have the, you know, the top comes up and you got the two wings. It looks like an eagle flying, right? Uh, whenever you get it out and you have a bed on each end, your kitchen and dining room and all that's in the middle. Uh, you know, so we would pull those behind our car. Now, didn't have a truck behind the car. And on the way there, the car, remember, you have to remember these big old cars. Uh, you know, the back seat was big enough that my sister, since she was the only girl in the family, she had the seat so she could stretch out in the seat and lay down and take a nap. My brother, you know, he had the floor and I had the window. Uh, you know, so I was on the back of the seat in between the window and the back, you know, and that's where we would sleep until we got to the first campsite and we would camp out that night, and we would be there for like two days at this one, and then we would travel to another one, and we've seen things like Rock City, Ruby Falls, uh, you know, the Bat Cave, you know, you know, y'all know all these things, right? Y'all have heard all of this, you know, so the Incline Railroad, you know, we've done all of those things, and this one year, we found this place, and I don't even know where it's at, y'all might be able to tell me where it is, Raccoon Mountain, do y'all know where it is? I think it's in Georgia somewhere. Uh, you know, but we found it, Raccoon Mountain, and they had this individual roller coaster. So you sat on this fiberglass thing that had wheels on it, and it had this little shift in between your legs, and that was supposed to be the brakes. Supposed to be the brakes. Oh, man, but we had a blast on that, you know, and, and we met people. Uh, you know, I remember those times because Dad cooked breakfast every single morning. We had pancakes that were crispy on the edge. We had, uh, you know, fried eggs. And yes, it was fried in bacon grease. That's the only way that you should fry an egg, right? And my dad would get that spatula and he would splash the bacon grease on the egg just to make sure it got all done. Whoo, man. But you know what? By the time we got to the week, to the end of week two, I was just a little homesick because I hadn't slept in my bed. After all, I was the youngest, so I didn't get the nice comfortable bed. That was one of the wings. 
I hadn't taken a bath in two weeks. Now, a bath. Now, we took showers, but y'all know in a campground, there's no bathtubs in a campground. There is nothing like laying back in the back of a bathtub and just simply laying there in hot water, isn't it? I miss that. After two weeks, I got a little homesick. You know, I think about this morning's service and this message. And whenever we boil everything down, we're all just simply a little homesick. Because whenever we were created, we were created to have a relationship with God Almighty. A perfect relationship with Him. And our bodies know that and we long for that perfect relationship with God. We long for that homecoming. You know, so, you know, we look into this and, you know, our passage of Scripture, we can, we can kind of see this in the disciples. You know, after all, they had been with Jesus at this point in time for three years, over three years. They had been waiting for him to become the king and the ruler that he was supposed to be. Remember, they wanted an earthly king. They wanted someone that was going to come in and overthrow the Roman government. And then all of a sudden, in the last two months, maybe three months of Jesus' ministry, he begins talking to the disciples and to the people about how he is now going to leave. He's going to have to die. He's going to uh, you know, become a sacrifice. Uh, in the passage of Scripture right before this, in, uh, you know, in chapter 13, he literally tells them that he is going to leave and where he's going, you can't go with me right now. And they're like, wait a minute. I have been with you for three years. I have seen the miracles. I've seen you heal people. I've seen you cast out demons. I've seen you walk on the water. I've seen you calm the storms with just simply speaking the words. I've seen you raise people from the dead. What do you mean you're leaving? See, in John chapter 12, verse 7, we find this. And the scripture tells us Jesus is talking to us and to the disciples. And he said, it says, Jesus said, uh, you know, let her alone. So this is the crowd. This is the group, uh, you know, that we have here. And Mary has came in with the alabaster jar and has anointed Jesus' feet. And he says, let her alone. Let her keep it for the day of your burial or of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And then you can also look at, at verse 23 in that same chapter. And Jesus says, and it says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And this is one of those interesting parts because Jesus had fleed Jerusalem and he had left there. And now he has come to this part, uh, you know, that he says, okay, it is time for, uh, you know, the Son of God to be glorified. 
it changes here, and this is where we have, uh, you know, the Gentiles come to Philip and ask Philip if they can have an audience or if they could speak with Jesus. And whenever Philip comes and asks if this is you know, if they can speak to Jesus, it's a signal that now the other flock that we've talked about, as far as Jesus being the good shepherd, it said that there were two flocks that he was going to bring together to one. The second flock is now searching for Jesus as the Messiah. So he says, now it is time for the Son of God to be glorified. And this is the part that we have here. Uh, you know, we go from there and we look in verse 33. Uh, you know, of chapter 13, and I mentioned this to you because here's where we have it, and it says, and as I told the Jewish leaders, well, let me go up and say, it says, dear friends, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot go or come where I am going. We see this with this. You know, these are statements that Jesus has brought us to and has brought the, uh, you know, the disciples to this point. So let me set the stage a little bit better for you, uh, you know, this morning in this passage of Scripture. Because whenever we see, uh, you know, verses, uh, you know, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, uh, you know, this is going to be after the Passover meal that Jesus has had with the disciples. Uh, you know, so the disciples tonight, they have seen Jesus break the bread and bless it. And then they have seen Jesus go to Elijah's cup uh, you know, that is supposed to be set, that table that was set aside there for Elijah. He goes to that cup and he professes a new covenant with them. And he says, this is my body that is broken for you. And then he says, this is my blood that is shed for you as a new covenant. We also have this night that we find that this is the night that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And you remember in verse, 13, in verse 6, uh, you know, uh, it says, uh, uh, chapter 13, verses 6 through 10 is where you'll find this. Uh, you know, Simon Peter, he comes to him, uh, you know, who tells Jesus and says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replies, you do not realize. Now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, then, Lord, Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then Jesus says, I don't need to wash your, you know, I just need to wash your feet. This is a statement that we have here uh, you know, and then from there, you can kind of picture this, that uh, you know, Jesus goes on and Jesus talks about being betrayed and lets us know that one of the ones that's in the group there is going to betray him. Uh, you know, and Judas leaves. And whenever Judas leaves, Jesus talks again about how he's going to leave and he's going to go to a place where they can't come or they can't come right now. And Peter says this, he says, 
you know, Peter steps up and says, oh no, I will stand with you even if I must die. Kind of forces Jesus into making this next statement that he says, Peter, you will not only flee like everyone else, but you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Hmm. Three times before the rooster crows. And then we turn and we look at this next passage. And it begins with these wonderful, wonderful words that says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus knew the hearts of his disciples. Can you imagine where they were in talking about a whirlwind or a building or a life that is falling apart because this group of 12 has been with him all of this time. They've seen all of these things and now Jesus says that someone's going to betray me. Someone in this group is going to betray me. All of you are going to flee and Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows today. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've been with you all of this time. How can you say this? We trust in you. So he knows their hearts. And he goes and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he has this profound statement. And I think a lot of times we miss. He says, trust in God and trust also in me. Whenever our hearts are troubled and whenever we get to this point that we are absolutely at our wit's end and we just simply want to sit down and scream and shout, uh, you know, or we want to walk up to something and hit something, right? How many of you have been there? Uh, you know, I'm so frustrated. I need to get this anger out. I need to hit something. Or we're to the point that I am so distraught, I can't do anything. I can't think through this process. Just allow me to sit still in this midst. And Jesus says, look, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Whenever things don't look right, trust in God. <laughs> Let's go ahead and read on into here. Uh, you know, after that, it, in verse 2, it says, There is more. I think I have this. Yeah, there's, don't let your hearts be troubled. If, if there is more than enough room in my father's home, if there were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you whenever, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will also be with me where I am. And you know the way where to, where you know the way to where I am going. No, 
we don't, Lord, Thomas said. Then we have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? So let me stop right there. I'm going to go back and let's say, because see, Peter would be the one that we would normally think would be the one that would speak up and say this, right? But now we have this one doubting Thomas that we have put into the, you know, doubting Thomas comes up and he makes this statement and he says, wait a minute. No, I don't know where you're going. And not only do no, I don't know where you're going. I don't know how to get there. So why in the world are you telling me that I know where you're going and I know how to get there? I don't know because you're supposed to be this earthly king and now you're talking about leaving. And if you're not going to be this earthly king that's not going to overthrow the Roman government, I have no clue where you're going now. I'm really confused. My life is in topsy-turvy. i got nothing. All right, let's break it down. Because of this world that we live in. Now remember, we are all created in the image of God. We are all created to have a relationship with God Almighty. Because we were created to have this relationship, and because that, that relationship has been broke, we are all longing for something. We are longing to belong to the family of God. We are longing to have a relationship with God Almighty. So what do we do? Everything that we do within our lives places us and takes us to the moment in time that we're either searching for happiness or we're searching for a group to belong in or we're searching for a way out of our troubles. And I didn't get an amen. We're all searching for that. Religion was designed by man to help us to get there. Now notice I said religion. It's not the relationship, but it's the religion that has been working on this. And the problem with the religion is, is that religion is man trying to reach up to God and man trying to do everything and accomplish to accomplish this relationship with God instead of allowing God to initiate that relationship we're the ones that's doing all the work so let's look at this the alcohols the alcoholics they're searching for something to get rid of the pain instead of going to Jesus Christ they go to the bottle Drug addicts, instead of going to Jesus Christ, they go to the drugs. Now, oh, God. lesbians and the homosexuals, they are trying their best to fit in, and they are trying their best to have some type of happiness in their life, so they look towards what the world is telling them is acceptable and, and offering this to them, and they're going there for that instead of going to Jesus Christ. This passage of Scripture is one thing that, that is difficult for us as Christians to be able to talk about. Because this is a statement that we find in Jesus Christ, uh, you know, where we have here. Let's go ahead and let's read on. I'll try to catch up. Is that... All 
I don't know where I am here. I'm in verse 6. Verse 6, he has this statement. And it says, I am the way, or Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Most of the people out there are saying, well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that in the 21st century, that you're going to stand here and tell me that Jesus Christ is the only way that I can get to heaven? After all, in 2007, man on the street interviewed thousands of people, Christians and non-Christians, and they came up with this aspect of, of all of them, that they boiled it down to it and it said that 98% of all people that they interviewed said that there are multiple ways to God. Non-Christians and Christians alike say there are multiple ways to God. Why? Because we don't want to offend someone. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I want you to be my friend. I want you to continue talking with you. So I'm not going to make this statement that says that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're not going to make it to heaven. If you're searching through drugs or you're searching through an alternative lifestyle or you're going through work and you're, you've turned into a workaholic or whatever it is, the only way to happiness and the only way to this relationship with God that we're searching for and that we want so bad is through believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the only way. We can't let it stop us from professing the right thing because what does it do? We have the churches and stuff out there today that says, oh... Uh, you know, if you want to live that lifestyle, that's okay. Come on into church. We still love you. But wait a minute. If you still want to drink, that's okay. Come on into the church. We, we, we still love you. You're, 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 you're on drugs. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. Come on in. We still love you. We'll accept you. Now, I'm not saying that any of those are right, but what I'm trying to explain to you and show you is that the alternative lifestyle is no different from an alcoholic, no different from a, you know, from a lesbian or anything. It's still sin, regardless of what it is. You know, it's no different if you're, you know, if you're here, it's sin. God says it's sin, and He does not gauge sin depending on what it is. Just because you're an alcoholic doesn't mean that you sin any less than a murderer or any less than anything else. We have to look at these things. Sin is sin and it's wrong. And if you believe in Jesus Christ and you're following His way, then you're trying your best not to walk in a life of sin. And I say trying your best. The only way that we can actually do it is if we follow the way. And who is the way? The way is Jesus Christ. And we have Jesus Christ through the truth. And it says that I am the truth. Not a truth, but the truth. Jesus Christ is truth. And if we follow Him and we listen and learn from Him, we will learn what truth is. But you can't have truth unless you're walking in the way. 
Because the way is the truth. You know, we try our best to love everybody. But we can love them straight to hell if we don't tell them the truth. If we continue to tolerate sin, we have to stand up for it. You know, relation or religion is not going to get us there. Uh, you know, the Islamic teachings, uh, you know, of God is a works or works is, is the fact of doing good works. The cult that we would consider Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or others like that or Buddha, uh, you know, they would say that it's works that takes you there. Buddha is a different one because Buddha tells you that if you follow this eightfold path of enlightenment, then you can be born again, and I mean literally born again, and you can be smarter than what you were, and you can be a better person than what you were if you follow these eight paths, uh, you, know, uh, you know, this fold that we have set before you. It is all about man reaching God instead of allowing God to reach us and show us where we are supposed to be. We look and we see God gave us the Ten Commandments. And in following the Ten Commandments, it's not that we can get to heaven through the Ten Commandments or that we can even live the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, although a lot of us sit here and say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Uh, you know, but when was the last time that you recall getting angry at somebody? doesn't take very long for us to think back those days. Uh, you know, what about lust? You know, we, we lust after our neighbors. Now, it doesn't have to be a sexual lust. It can be a lust over their motorcycle. Booger, you can't have my white one. Uh, you've already got my blue one. Uh, you know, so you've got lust over homes, over vehicles. Uh, you know, you've got all of these things, and these are the Ten Commandments. These are the things that we look at and we say, I have broken these, I have fallen, and there is absolutely no way for me to get back to the right place in this relationship. I can't work hard enough. I can't spend enough money. Although, how many of y'all remember, uh, you know, Warren Buffett? Warren Buffett donated $37 million to religious organizations back in 2007. And he literally said that I'm doing this so that I can kind of up the ante to make sure that I paid the right God that whenever I die, I get to make it to heaven. Wow. If that's not twisted. But let me do... I'd, I want to go here and tell you how far off we are. In Isaiah chapter 44, beginning with verse 13. In Isaiah 44, beginning with verse 13, going through 20, it has this saying here, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a saying, but uh, you know, Isaiah writes this, and it says, Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with the chisel and, and plane and carves it into a human figure. 
He gives it a human he gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down the cedar and selects the cypress and the oak and he planes the pine or plants the pines in the forest and to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it is true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and he bows down in front of it. Wow. I plant a tree. The rain comes from somewhere and nourishes it, and it grows. I chop the tree down. Part of it I burn up to warm me. The other part I burn up to cook my food. And then this other part I'm going to chisel out of it a human-like figure, and I'm going to bow down and worship it, worship something that I have created. Guys, that is ridiculous. We do it every day. Maybe not every day. But we do it. Humans do it today. We have a financial issue. What do we do? Call up our boss and see if we can work some overtime. Right? You have financial issues. You do like Peggy and I, you go through the Dave Ramsey financial peace course and you start putting your money and stuff in the envelopes and you govern and you pattern the way that you spend your money differently. Instead of calling out to God. Now the Dave Ramsey financial peace course, that's a pretty good way to go, but we still have to get God's advice. We still need God's help. We need a home. What do we do? Hopefully, we begin to pray for God to show us the right home. But there are so many people that do not. There are so many times, even in our lives, that whenever we have a situation or we have something in our lives that we, that we need help with, that we just simply skip it or we skip God. And we try to handle it on our own. We haven't chopped down a tree. But what did we do? We made ourselves God. We said, I don't need you to handle this one. I can take care of it. God says, I'm the only one that can handle your issues. I am the one that you need to come to. I'm the way. I'm the truth. And if I'm the way and the truth, then I am the life. I am the life. (laughs) But then he says these words at the end of that phrase. He says, no one can come to the Father except for through me. No one. Today, this morning... We look at this and Jesus is standing here and he's, he's telling us, uh, you know, that you know the way to go. Uh, you know, he says, I am the way, I'm the truth and the life. 
no one can come before me. And we find that it's further on in that passage of Scripture. You know, we get these words in verse 7. If you had really known me, you would know my Father. For now, for now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip stands up. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Philip and the disciples were still yet to be satisfied. Because they were still looking at worldly things. Until we get our eyes on Jesus Christ as being the way, the truth, and the life, then we will continue We will continue to be unsatisfied. Our lives will fall short. But we must be filled with God, with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus replied, I have been with you all of this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does the work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least... Believe because of the works you have seen me do. Believe. Believe in the Father. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And the only way that we can have it is if we believe in Him. The world has kind of lost their way. We have lost our way. We still think that I can do it. We still think that if I do this a little differently, maybe I can get there. Maybe if I go to church a little bit more, I can get there. It doesn't help. I mean, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt coming to church. But the only way that we can get there is through Jesus Christ. This morning... I want, to, I want to close, kind of close with this you know, quote from Thomas Akempis. Thomas says, follow me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow. The truth which thou must believe. The life which thou must hope. I am the way, unchangeable, the truth, 
infallible, the life everlasting. I am the way altogether straight, the true supreme, the true life, the blessed life, the uncreated life. If you abide in my way, you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, and you shall attain life everlasting. Follow me. Jesus says, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to him except through the Father. No one. This morning, we have to see where we are and see who we are. As Susan comes, there are different times in our lives that we, we get off the path. We choose the wrong way. Some of those choices in choosing the wrong way we know what they are, but we still choose them. Some of the times we do the wrong way or we go the wrong way just simply because we have drifted a little bit from God. But we're still going the wrong way. God is calling us back this morning and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And the only way that you're going to get to the Father is through me. The only way that you're going to get to heaven, the only way that you're going to be able to solve this heartache for home is through Jesus Christ. Because he says, where I go, building a place for you so that whenever I come back to get you you will have a place to be with me forever in my father's house in my father's house there's ample All you have to do is believe. But Thomas Akempis tells us that we have to walk in that way. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide our paths. He says that whenever you have the life, then you're truly set free. Truly set free stand this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed if you've stumbled and you have fallen off of the path Jesus Christ God is here this morning with open arms arms to help you to the path he says come to me I'm the way come to me
you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as being the way, being the truth, being the life. This morning, He's here. Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for the message and for the words that you have given to us. I thank you that your son came to this earth to be the way, the truth, and the life. God, I pray that you will continue to be with us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.